there's no little thing in the AI brain that says, oh, maybe I should stop at this point in time because this is someone's personal private information. Privacy isn't necessarily the right to keep information about you, yourself, and what you're doing secret to yourself. It's about control of your information. It's about your freedom to choose what information about you is shared with whom and when and under what circumstances. And it's not so much that Google or Meta and these companies are surveilling people. It's that people don't have a choice. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZNT Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Privacy Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Ahmed, founder and lead trainer at the Privacy Pros Academy. And I'm thrilled to have each and every one of you joining us from wherever you are in the world right now. Today, we've got an amazing guest. We've got attorney Jay Barnes. He's a shareholder at Simmons Handy Conroy in the complex litigation department, where he focuses his practice on consumer class action lawsuits. Before joining the firm, Jay served eight years as a state representative in the Missouri General Assembly. In this role, he fought against fraud, abuse, and waste as chairman of the House Committee on Government Oversight and Accountability. He also served as chairman of the Special Investigative Committee on Oversight formed in 2018 to investigate the wrongdoings of former Missouri Governor Eric Rittens. As a shareholder at the firm, Jay represents hardworking people who have been wronged through corporate fraud. So we love people who stand up for the right thing. We love people who stand for principles. And it's an absolute honor to have you on the podcast today, Jay. Welcome to the Privacy Pros. Hi. Thanks, Jamal. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Jay, if you could travel back in time and attend any historical event, which one would you pick? Wow, that is a great question. After watching Indiana Jones, this weekend, uh, maybe the Battle of Syracuse. No, I don't. I don't think it would be the Battle of Syracuse. Well, I think I might go back in time to sometime during the Declaration, or uh, actually the time of Christ. I think is where I would travel back in time to. It has to be a historical event, right? It can't be a personal event. I think I would t- travel back to the life of Christ, some something in the moment of the life of Christ, perhaps when he turned the water into wine. That would be quite a miraculous thing to witness. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Okay, so let's get into your career a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit more about your career journey and how you actually ended up in data privacy litigation? That is a, that's a great question. I think the first case I litigated in this area was in 2011. 
So over a decade ago, I'd like to say before it was cool, it was against Facebook at a time when Facebook in the eyes of everyone could do no wrong. It was just after the Arab Spring where Facebook was credited rightly or wrongly with giving rise to a democratic rebellion. And somebody mentioned to me, hey, did you see this, that Facebook is tracking people on non-Facebook websites, even when they're not signed into Facebook, when they have nothing to do with Facebook. And I really didn't believe it. And there was someone I knew who didn't like it either. They wanted to be a plaintiff. And that was the first case I filed. It was, uh, it's called NRA Facebook Internet Tracking Litigation is the name of the case. And there was a case not long after where Google was tracking people who used the Safari browser, even though it was promising not to do so. I got involved in those two cases as a very young lawyer, started learning about the technology and the law and all of the different ways that companies, primarily Facebook and Google and companies in the surveillance economy, are surveilling people without their knowledge or authorization. And one thing led to another 12 years later, the majority of my work involves digital privacy for consumers. And what made you so passionate that you decided, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to be the person that uh, brings this to the matter to the courts. There are lots of reasons. The The first is the justice of the situation. No one signed up for any of this surveillance. And related to that, I think these companies, Facebook and Google and the power that they have amassed is a real danger to society and to our economy. No company should have the power that they have based on the data that they've accumulated about people and how they can use that data to manipulate people and how the data can be used by others to manipulate people. Look, in the United States, we've seen deep polarization that I don't think you can completely place the blame on Google and Facebook, Mm -hmm. but you can place a lot of the blame on Google and Facebook and social media companies that send people down an echo chamber rat hole of hearing all of these different conspiracy theories and then having a feedback loop based on their browsing history that continues to feed them via the algorithm these conspiracy theories that leads to something like January 6th in the United States. And I know that that seems like quite a stretch, but the power these companies have to surveil and the surveillance that they're engaged in, that is the ultimate consequence of allowing companies like this to have this power. And it needs to be stopped. I I think it's dangerous for American democracy. I think it's dangerous for countries in Europe as well. And that's why I'm involved in the cases I'm involved in. And then the third thing, so that's the societal impact. The third thing is no one signed up for this. I don't talk to anyone who says, you know, I want Google and Facebook to track everything that I do online. That's That's what I really love about Google and Facebook. I agreed to this. No one agreed to this. It is a form of theft of personal data 
that should not exist in the world. I agree with you 150%, Jay. In fact, I don't think I could agree with you anymore. No one actually signed up for this. What gives big tech the audacity just to think they can do whatever they like? They're above any laws. They're above any human rights. They have no regard. All they have to think about is profitability, and they can do whatever they like with people's information. And what you said about polarization there really resonates with me because we we saw that here with Brexit as well. Uh, there was deep polarization with people either being on one side or the other, depending on what article they'd led, which politician they'd followed, what they'd liked. And it just takes them further and further down the rabbit hole. And people's understanding and perceptions of reality and having that balanced focus and balanced information completely disappears. So if, if you give somebody a light and they can only point it at one wall, they would be mistaken for thinking that the whole reality is everything that exists on that wall. They don't have a look at the other three walls, the ceiling and the floor, because they can't see it. It doesn't exist. That's all that exists to them. And they would walk away from that room with a very polarized view of what's going on there. And sometimes that can be really dangerous. And you mentioned there January the 6th. Uh, Am I right in believing when you're talking about January 6th, you're talking about some of the Trump supporters who went and stormed some of those government buildings? Absolutely. That is what I'm talking about. Obviously, that's an extreme example. Brexit is an example. You gave, I like the way you put it, that if you only show somebody a light that only points at one wall, they're only going to see that wall. That's what these companies' algorithms do. These algorithms are built on the surveillance that they do of people. And it it's, it's a broad surveillance to show them and tell them for Facebook and Google's purposes exactly what the people want to hear to make profit for Facebook and Google and to surveil everything that they do. And in, in, here in Europe, we've had some really, really, really sad examples of individuals who have been exposed to some material and they've ended up taking their own lives because of the way the algorithm fed them content. Uh, in fact, there was a child that was impacted. So what, what you're talking about is, isn't just a matter of political opinion. It can be a matter of life and death uh, in situations that we're talking about here. So it's super important, the work that you do. And uh, before I finish the podcast and forget, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing to stand up for privacy rights, showing these big tech, hey, there is somebody here in the name of Jay Barnes who is going to stand up for people, who is going to stand up for us, right? And who is going to show you principles matter more than profits. On that note, Jay, can you share any memorable experiences or even lessons that you've learned from litigating these consumer privacy cases? Uh, One memorable experience is the first case I had against Google and federal court. I showed up in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and it was a rather large case. And I introduced myself for the record, Jay Barnes. At that time, it was Barnes and Associates on behalf of the plaintiffs. And one of the judges on the panel said, who? What firm? I've never heard of you before. Never heard of that firm before. That was a memorable experience. Things have changed. I think that I'm in a different firm now. We're a more prominent firm. I've been involved in enough cases, and judges typically don't ask that question. I think some things I've learned that were surprising to me is how unavoidable the behavior is from Google and Meta. A lot of times these companies will try to offer a defense that, well, the plaintiff can just avoid this. And as we've talked to experts, there's really no way to avoid it. If you want to be, if you want to live a modern life and not participate in the modern economy, there's no way to avoid Google or Meta's surveillance of you completely, which of course goes to the idea that 
no one actually consents to this. If you don't have a choice, there is no consent. And then the, the third thing is the extent to which these companies believe that they are above the ordinary rules of civil litigation. I've seen things happen in cases that I'd like to say that I'm a real lawyer. I've I've represented people in personal injury cases, uh, criminal defense, and divorces, and small businesses, and contract disputes, small businesses, and licensing disputes. So the full gamut of the American legal system, I have represented people in those situations. And I've seen things in these cases with Google and Meta where the defendants engage in conduct that would cause real lawyers and their clients to get disbarred and to lose the case. And I don't want to go into too many details, but there's there's been sanctions levied against Facebook in certain cases. And it's really just shocking to me the extent to which some of these Silicon Valley companies think that they are above the law, not just in respect to their surveillance of people, but with respect to how they engage with the American legal system. Where, where do you think that arrogance comes from? I think it comes from the engineering background of the leaders of the companies. I think it comes from success that they have had. And I think it becomes comes from a genuine belief from people in these companies that they are connecting the world and making the world a better place. I think these companies are bad for society, but I don't think the people who lead these companies think that they are bad for society. I think that they they think they're great drivers of profit who are doing great work for society to, to connect people and help companies find the right consumers at the right times uh, and who drink their own Kool-Aid. Look, the, the fact is, Commerce existed before Google, and if Google disappeared, commerce would still exist, and the world would be okay. True. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I think sometimes it's that they they've convinced themselves for so long that they're doing a great thing that they're completely blind, and it might be willfully sometimes to the cost of it. And sometimes they convince themselves, we're doing something great, so we need to do this great thing. And if it comes at the cost of that, then that's okay, because, you know, people are finding the right adverse at the right time, uh, and we're giving them what they want. So it's okay to abuse them. It's okay to take away their choice. It's okay to take away their power that they have over their privacy. And that's where we're, that's where the Privacy Pros come in. And one of the, the our vision at the Privacy Pros Academy is really to create a world where every woman, every man, and every child enjoys freedom over their personal information. And so we're empowering world-class privacy professionals to go and make sure that their organizations and businesses are actually doing the right thing. And the great thing is, if that goes wrong, then we know we've always got Jay to call who can get those things put back right. And people can be compensated for those harms and those injuries that they've suffered to their privacy. Jay, one thing you mentioned earlier there was in your first case, uh, the judge actually turned around to you and said, who? I've never heard of you kind of thing. I, I had similar things happen earlier in my career where people are like, well, who? who are you? Why should we even listen to you? How did that make you feel? And how has that impacted you where you are right now? Uh, I, I was 
bemused by it because I, I was there to to do a job and I knew I had heard from others who knew him personally, who's a really nice guy. Right. And so I, at that point I was bemused. And frankly, I would prefer the situation where I'm underestimated as opposed to people knowing who I am when I walk in the door. I would much rather be underestimated and overperform than overestimated and underperform. See, one of the things a lot of people um, in our industry suffer with is self-doubt and imposter syndrome. And someone who might be less resilient than you, and you might even be listening right now, might have taken that and perceived it as, oh my God, the judge doesn't even know who I am. He's making me feel belittled. And that could have fed the imposter syndrome more. I remember when it happened to me, instead of giving in and feeling the imposter syndrome, I made it a mental note and I highlighted it in my mind that this person will know who I am one day, whether it's today or tomorrow or next year. And I did everything I could thereafter to work on being the best version of myself I could be, being excellent, getting on television, becoming the media go-to expert, getting on international conferences. So now my reputation precedes me. When I go to clients now, they don't ask me, oh, who are you? We've never heard of you. They already know who we are. That's the reason they've actually come to us. It's a very fine line between somebody who decides to take that and use it to motivate them and spur them on and somebody who actually takes something like that and retreats and goes back into themselves and starts you know, letting that negativity and that imposter syndrome and the self-doubt really creep into their mind. What advice do you have for the private professionals who are looking now who might not be feeling as confident, who might not be getting the buy-in from their stakeholders, who might not be getting the respect they need from some of the third parties that they're working with in those situations to deal with? Well, I think how you just stated it was really well, where you said, I, I, wanna, I need to be the best version of myself that I can be. And I think that's, that's what you do and be confident in who you are and what you know. Don't overstate what you know or who you are and don't undersell yourself either. Focus on the facts and why you need your company or the company you're working with, why you think it's a good idea for them to take the path of action that you're proposing as a privacy professional. Sometimes they're gonna listen and sometimes they're not, but all you can do is the best that you can do and leave it at that. Yes, I, I love how you put that there. All you can do is the best you can do. So worry about the things that you can control and you can control your thoughts. You can control your words. You can control your action and you can control whether you choose to find a mentor to invest in yourself and become the best version of yourself or whether you want to stay where you are. One of the things my mentor said to me is your best thinking has got you to where you are right now. So that means I'm going to be limited with my best thinking unless I go outside of myself, somebody who is a few steps ahead of me, and try and get some lessons and some guidance from them so I can move beyond my best thinking and onto the next stage. And I think sometimes people forget that they're, they're limited by their own selves. A lot of people are very smart, academics, lawyers, they've been to law school, they've done LLMs, LLM, whatever you call it, three, four law degrees, and they, think they can just teach themselves everything. And I think that's one of the challenges we see a lot in our industry is people are convinced that they can teach themselves everything. Is it possible to teach yourself everything, Jay? <laughs> no, not even close. Not even close. One of the great things I, I love about being a lawyer is the ability to learn new things and not just that I teach myself, but working with experts that we have. And I think that sometimes, because I do this in the American legal system, you take depositions and a deposition is just basically an interview 
of someone else. So we'll take, we get to take interviews of people who work for the defendant or experts on the other side. And a lot of times I will tell, and we have cases against more than just Facebook and Google. And I've litigated medical malpractice cases as well. And sometimes I've mentioned to a witness for the other side, you know, one of the things I love about being an attorney is I get to learn from people like you. And I've that has elicited some eye rolls in some cases, but it is so true. The ability to, it's one great thing about being a lawyer. I think it's a great thing when you can embrace it in any other industry is the ability to learn something new in your job, to be a lifelong learner, so to speak. It's one thing that I love to do. And obviously with your company, it's something that people do with their company and they should be willing to reach out and talk to other people, learn from other people who've done things before, before just trying to learn it on their own. Thank you, Jay. Very powerful. Now, AI, artificial intelligence, is becoming increasingly prevalent across all industries. How do you see AI impacting user privacy? And what are the legal implications that privacy professionals should be aware of? I think that's a great question, and it's going to be sorted out. I've enjoyed playing around with the AI tools. I don't know if you saw the story in the New York Times about the lawyer who used AI to write a brief. <laughs> to write his case <laughs> with yeah. the non-existent case, uh, fictional cases. Yeah. So before that happened, I used, I asked some basic questions to yeah. chat GPT and to Google's version, which is Bard. And I got the same thing. They It makes up cases and it's, <laughs> it's not good at legal analysis. I think from a privacy perspective, the implications on individual consumer privacy could come if companies are f- knowingly feeding data to the AI systems. Those systems will have that data available. There's no little thing in the AI brain that says, oh, maybe I should stop at this point in time because this is someone's personal private information. Unless that's built into the algorithm, that's going to be a problem. And the industry is so young. I don't think that's played itself out yet, but I think it, it will. You, you have to build limits into these algorithms or <laughs> there will be no limits. And that would include intrusions on people's privacy. And I to go back to something you said earlier, you really, privacy isn't necessarily the right to keep information about you, yourself, and what you're doing secret to yourself. It's about control of your information. It's about your freedom to choose what information about you is shared with whom and when and under what circumstances. And it's not so much that Google or Meta and these companies are surveilling people. It's that people don't have a choice and the little form contract that they fill out, that's not, that's not a real, a real choice. And generally these cases are about the freedom to determine who gets to learn information about you when and under what, what circumstances. And I really like the way that you, you put it earlier, because a lot of times that freedom to choose is ignored. Absolutely. Thank you. 
With the emergence of new technologies and data collection practices, what are some potential gaps or even loopholes in currently privacy legislation that you believe need to be addressed? So I have a view that America does not need any new privacy laws in any state or on the federal level. All we need is for regulators and judges to enforce the laws that we already have as they are written. And if they do that, then a lot of problems caused by surveillance can be addressed. With respect to artificial intelligence, that's in a different bucket. I think, I think there needs to be regulation on artificial intelligence and perhaps some federal laws in the United States. I don't know what they are, but with respect to tracking of consumer communications. In the United States, we have a law called the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. It was passed in 1986 to give electronic communications the same level of protections that oral and telephone and wire communications in the United States are provided. Courts have been enforcing that, sometimes in a good way. Sometimes you see cases where there is results-based reasoning where a court has bent over backwards to allow a company like Google or Meta to prevail, those types of decisions are going away. And the reason for that is I think there's a recognition by judges and society more broadly that the power these companies have to surveil people is dangerous and that there are limits to it and that those limits need to be enforced that that's super interesting i think you're the first person uh from uh, across the other side of the pond that's actually said we don't need any more regulations what we actually need is people to understand what we already have in place and bloody well enforce it that's all we need we we just need regulators in every state or we we need better regulators or the introduction of regulators because what we already have if you look at it and you're a lawyer so we take your word for it is it's already there All the protections that we need to have control and freedom over our information is there. It's just that there are no regulators to enforce it. So companies are doing what they want and the judges might not uh, be as familiar with them as they should be or they're not understanding it or they're choosing to interpret it in a way that is actually favoring the wrongdoers rather than actually respecting the right to privacy. And if all we did was just focus on the laws that we have right now and just focus on properly regulating them and enforcing them, then America would have, all American citizens would have the rights and freedoms that we see other people in Europe enjoy. I think that's right. I I think that's right. And it's not just this federal law. There in the the United States, we have common law, which is uh, ancient judge-made law, and we have common law rights for privacy so there's a there's a tort in the United States, which is a legal claim that you can bring for intrusion upon seclusion, which is essentially if someone gains unauthorized access to you in a way that it would be highly offensive to a reasonable person, you can bring a claim for damages against that person who did that. That tort is over a century old in the United States. It goes back centuries in Great Britain, and it's quoted by Blackstone in the 1700s, the right to a case. And so these these rights go back a long time, and we, we need a greater enforcement of those rights. Part of the problem, Jamal, is 
not a lot of people understand how this works and which is what you know your company is training people to be privacy pros people need to understand how this new technology works i I think that is one of the biggest challenges is lots of people don't take the time to get clarity Uh, and so we we have this methodology we call it the c5 methodology at the privacy pros and we say everything has to start with the first c which is for clarity Without clarity, anything else that you do doesn't have any meaning because you can't do it with confidence because you don't even understand what you're dealing with. So first you need clarity. Once you have clarity, you have the confidence, you understand what you're dealing with, then you can provide credible solutions to achieve compliance. And what's really going to help you is to have a community of experts, a community of people who understand what they're doing because like, we, we don't know everything. And when you get those five C's and you put them all in one place, that's the recipe for success. And if you take one of those away, then it's a little bit like an inflated tire. Once you have, if all air, if the tire is fully inflated, then you have a smooth journey. The moment you lose air and one of the sides of the tire becomes flat, you're going nowhere fast. I, I like the way you're, you know, the first C is clarity. In a lot of cases, my first, the first time I get in front of the judge, the first thing I will do is say, look, the technology may seem complicated at first blush, but I want to let's talk about what's really happening here and let's do it in a context that is understandable within your day to day life. And then I give an example of what's happening and why it's important in a way that's clear without talking about cookies and servers and source code breaking down the technical terms and just talking about it in language that ordinary people can understand. Jay, we are two pieces of the same pod. One of the things I identified was my clients, the businesses were struggling with actually understanding what the regulation required. And when they were speaking to lawyers or legal counsel, they would just regurgitate the articles to them. And they would just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd go away and do the wrong thing or not do the right thing because there was no clarity. So there wasn't confidence or they did nothing. Uh, And so that's what led me to write this book, The Easy Peasy Guide to the GDPR. And what I've done is essentially what you've just said is taken away the complexity and just put it all in simple layman's terms so everyone can actually understand. And what I found is that's actually helping privacy pros as well as their clients because now people understand, oh, yeah, this is clear. Okay, I'm confident what I need to do. Oh, I understand what I need to do and what I can't do. And I know where the gray area is and I know exactly where to walk safely kind of thing. So what you said there is exactly the same thing I've been preaching. It's all about making things easy peasy. And Albert Einstein actually said, if you can't explain it simply enough, you haven't understood it well enough. I think that's right. Okay, Jay, I have one more question for you. What advice would you give to aspiring privacy professionals who are looking to break into the field or elevate their careers? They're already seasoned and they're looking to elevate their careers and make a meaningful impact the way you are. The same, it's the same advice that I think you'd given in any field, which is learn as much as you can, work hard, stay true to your values, and do the best you can. I, it seems so such simple advice but i think that no matter what the industry is if you follow those path you're going to be successful i i completely agree and you know it might be simple words but that's because you like to explain things in a way that everyone can understand and everyone can definitely understand that regardless of how simply and beautifully you put it 
it is profound. All you have to do is focus on growing, have the growth mindset, continue learning, continue evolving and continue being the best you can be. And there will be things that come along, but remember what your values are. Stay true. Use that value compass to navigate your decisions, make the right choices, and then you can go to bed every night feeling that you've done a great job and be proud of the legacy you're leaving behind as well. I think it's really important. It, let me make this pitch. It's really important for more people to understand how these technologies work and to explain them in a way to the companies they work in and the companies they're working with to do things in, in ways that respect consumers. And there's ways to do that. Um, but y- you've got to put in the work to learn how the technology works and then stay true to core values that you're not going to take actions that are against the will and the freedoms that other people have to choose what to do with their information. It's great words there. Thank you, Jay. Uh, so Jay, before I let you go, uh, we always let the guest ask me a question. So I'm going to extend that same courtesy to you. So you can ask me whatever you like. What would you like to ask me? You started me with an off-the-wall question. Where would you go back and t- if you had an Indiana Jones time machine, what historical event would you go back to? Oh, it's a good question to ask, but it's a tricky one to answer. What historical event would I go back to? You know what? I, I'm I'm quite in touch with my faith. I, I would also go back to the time of our prophet, uh, peace be upon him, just to witness the way he was, just to witness the presence around him, just to listen to some of those words. Uh, because I feel like if I'd actually seen and met him in real life myself, my faith would be a lot more stronger. It would be a lot more concrete because right now we're going on something that we've seen in books or something that we've heard, but we didn't actually see for ourselves. And when you see something for yourself and you can actually touch it with all of your senses because you're there, you can smell the air, you can speak, you can hear, it, it makes a complete difference. So I, I, I think I would take a page out of your leaf and I would actually go back uh, to the time of our prophet uh, and just to be around there and just to absorb and soak that up really okay that's cool do our time machines let us come back or do we i'd be quite happy to be stuck there (laughs) yeah i think you know i how did they make coffee I would need a coffee machine let's call up your friends at google and ask them if they can help yeah all right jay uh thank you so much for all of the valuable tips that you've shared with us so we spoke all about your career journey and how you actually got into data privacy litigation all the way in 2011 your first cases against google and uh, facebook and what really drove you to go there was this thing that hey you guys are doing stuff that's abusive no one's signed up for this no one's actually given you permission to do this but you feel like you have this freedom to go and take away other people's freedom and do whatever you like, whenever you want to do it, for however long you want to do it, then no one can do anything about it. Well, here I am, and I'm going to stand up for what's right. And then we spoke a little bit about AI, and you said, look, the key thing here is really understanding what's being fed into the AI. And if we are using AI at work, or we're thinking of introducing those things, that's the thing that we need to be really mindful of. When it comes to the U.S., We don't actually need more regulation. We don't even need a federal regulation. What we need to do is just appreciate what we already have, understand it, enforce it, 
and just do the right thing. How hard can that be? And you gave us some really great tips towards the end. You said, stay true to your values, focus on always learning, show up and be the best version of yourself that you can be. And if you apply that, whether you do that as a privacy lawyer, whether you do that as a privacy consultant, whether you do that as a privacy engineer, or whether you do that as a privacy content writer, it will only help you to really take your career to the next level and enjoy a thriving career. And the most important thing is it'll help you to come together so that together we can make sure that every woman, every man, every child enjoys their freedom over their personal information. Jay Barnes, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you today. Do you have any final words before we wrap up? I do not. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class Privacy Pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.